Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today, that we would hear you through your word, and that we would know your presence, Lord. We, we do need you. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been asked to talk about prayer this week, and uh, it's something I get asked to do all the time, because I work for an organization called 24-7 Prayer. I'm the international prayer director, which means I have to travel around, and most of the time they say, can you talk about prayer? And so it's very, very conscious to not just give you like a, a microwave sermon, a, a reheat from somewhere else. So I kind of uh, went away and, and prayed, and Tracy and I have been chatting about this, and I just, I just really felt that it'd be good today to look at what did prayer look like in the life of the early church, and how does that affect us as Christians today? How does that affect our prayer life? And so I want us to look at uh, two chapters of Acts, Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're not going to read them all. I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of what actually happens, and then we'll read a few bits and bobs. So you have to understand that in Acts 2, uh, Acts 1, Jesus you know, ascends to heaven. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, and the church are filled with power and anointing. And it says that Peter then goes out and he preaches and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. If you've, if, if you've read your Bibles, it's Acts chapter 2. And then we see that in Acts chapter 3, more of the same thing happens, but it's slightly different. Acts 2, it talks about how all the people were, the church was growing, 3,000 people, loads of favor. And then there's this beautiful story about Peter and John they go, they, they, they go one day to the temple to pray, and it says they go through Gate Beautiful. So they go, every day they went to pray. They go through Gate Beautiful. They don't know where Gate Beautiful is. Architects can't find it. Historians don't even know if it existed. There's lots of rumors about this gate, but they're on their way up to the temple to pray like they did every day, and they walk by this guy who has been lame from birth. His ankles and his feet don't work, and his friends put him there every day, and he begs for money. And it was quite traditional that people begged outside the temples because it was, it was, uh, it was part of the, the deal that you give alms. You know, you would be kind when you, either before you went in or when you came out. And so Peter and John are walking by this guy that they've obviously walked by before, and it's almost like Peter looks over his shoulder, turns to him, and prays for him, and the guy gets healed. So then they get, they get up, they go into the temple. Interestingly, I think they go to pray. And then on the way out of the temple, everyone's like, oh my goodness, this is the guy who was healed. This is the guy who had you know, bad ankles and legs and he couldn't walk. And it's amazing and it's fantastic. And Peter, being an opportunist... Uh, feels like it's a good time to pray, to preach. So he preaches, and like another, you know, a few thousand people become Christians. The church grows. The, the temple authorities absolutely don't like this. They, there's a beautiful line that says they, they took note that Peter and John had been with Jesus. So they don't like, they, you know, they didn't like Jesus. These were the guys that crucified Jesus. Okay, so they imprison Peter and John overnight. They say, you can't do this. You can't preach. You're not allowed to talk about Jesus. You're not allowed to do this in the temple. They, 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 and they get them. And Peter and John goes, well, we're probably still going to do it. They go home. They go back to their church. And they meet with all the people. And they start to pray. And say, you'll never guess what happened. They all start to pray. The Holy Spirit moves. The room shakes. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And off they go again. Okay, 
That's a real synopsis. I could have read it all for you, but that's what happened. So, but, but what we notice in this story is there's a few different incidents of prayer. And this is like a, a good template for us as believers. So let's read Acts 3, verse 1 to 10. This is the, the beginning of the story. I'm going to top and tail it. So I'll read the bit at the end and a bit at the beginning. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's a great story. Uh, the beautiful story of, the, you know, one of, the, one of the things they say as well, it's quite interesting for Peter and John even to admit that he didn't have money. It wasn't a good thing to do, to say, silver and gold have we none, we don't have any. But, but they were quite willing, they were quite humble to say, no, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give to you. And that is the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And it's just, it's, th- these two chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4, some people say they read, like the, they read like they're in the book of Mark. The book of Mark is a very immediate and fast-paced book. These two chapters would, would almost sit in the book of Mark. The reason Luke chose this story is the first ever kind of uh, depiction of the church being persecuted. Up until then, in, Luke, in, in, sorry, in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 47, it said they had, they had enjoyed the favor of all the people. So here we have the first instance of the church being persecuted. Not the people of Israel, because we know that they were exiled and persecuted, and, but the actual, the new church, this is the first time it was persecuted. There, there were, there'd been other signs and other wonders, but the author of Acts decided to tell us this story because it was about the church and the beginning of its persecution. Are you with me? Good. So there's three things I think we can pick out of this about prayer that would help us. One is the regular, the stuff we do every day. The two is the spontaneous, the stuff that happens spontaneously. And the three is the contended. So there's three, there's three different things I think we can look at when it comes to prayer. The spontaneity, regularity, and contention. So, and I, I just, I think we can pick it out of here. And it's something that we can easily apply to our own lives. The first thing we'll see that in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. See, they did this every day. This was at the hour of prayer. The, they say it's about the ninth hour, about 3 p.m. for the, what, what is known as the lesser mincha, just in case. 
Okay? And the traditions of later day Judaism had fixed the third and sixth and ninth hours of each day as times of prayer. So when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and God showed up, they still did their regular stuff that they did every day. Which was every day they went and they prayed three times. There was a, 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 they, in the morning, in the middle of the day, and at the end of the day. There was a basic rhythm of prayer that was applied to the life of the early church. It was based on like Psalm 55. Uh, verse 16 to 17 it says uh, as for me I call to God and the Lord saves me evening morning and noon I cry out in distress and he hears my voice there's a history in 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 that time of people praying three times a day and it, it would say that the early disciples and the early church they did exactly the same they prayed three times every day and like Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. That wasn't even in the temple. It would say that he turned towards the temple and prayed. So Daniel, this was in exile way back. So that they had this culture, whether in the temple or outside of the temple, where they prayed three times a day. And, and that's just what was happening that day. Peter and John were just doing what Christians do. They were on their regular, every day, we're going to go and pray. And this continued for 300 years, three times a day. The early church prayed through its, the stage of its greatest growth. And when it made its biggest impact, everyday disciples, or as uh, Chris Rogers likes to say, apprentices of Jesus, prayed three times a day. And it, because it was observed in different places in, in Alexandria, in Egypt, from Clement, who was there in 200 AD, they prayed three times. Uh, the, you know, the, the rule of St. Benedict is seven times a day. That was 600 uh, you know, AD. And that still happens today. So there's all these regular things that happened where people prayed daily. And I guess for me, thinking about my own prayer life as a Christian, what's my regular rhythm? How do I... What do I do regularly to pray? What have I put in place in my life where I pray daily? Because it would look to me like this was the, the way that the church worked. This is the way that Christians were supposed to live. They were meant to be people who prayed regularly, without guilt, without condemnation, but a sense of if I am a Christian, if we are part of this, we should pray daily. And, and it wasn't even like I'm just going to pray in my head while I'm going about my business. Because I think we all do that, we, or I do anyway, I don't know about you, but we, you know, we pray just when we're doing our stuff. It was actually a set-aside time to pray, a moment where one stopped and focused completely on God. And they, this was what sustained and grew the early church, this kind of daily rhythm of prayer. And I would suggest that it's probably what sustains and still grows the church today. You, you'll see all sorts of uh, rule of life stuff popping up. John Mark Comer and all these different guys, they're all doing this kind of like, we need a rule of life. And I think it's really good. We do. Uh, where a rule of life is like, I'm going to do this, this, and this twice a day or three times a day or whatever. But what is your rule of life? What is your rhythm of prayer that you put in place? And I think we all need one. We have a, a, little, a little app called Lectio365, which I use every day. And it, it basically, if you get a chance, you should download it. It's quite helpful. And it, it basically helps me to remember to pray every day. 
And it talks me through my prayer. It's about 10 minutes of my day, and I play it, and there you go, and I've got a little prayer time. Uh, in the morning, I, I decide that I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible. I'm going to pray. You build in a daily rhythm of prayer. And that's, I, I don't know what you need to do to build in a daily rhythm of prayer. You might think, I don't know. I, I don't want to get all caught up in that. I don't want to get weighed down by it. I just think start somewhere. We've got to start somewhere when it comes to what are we doing every day to help us grow as Christians. If the, the problem is someone going, I'm going to pray for half an hour, three times a day, I would almost set themselves up for failure. And when you don't, when you, when you, when you can't, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm a bit like, uh, it was Winston Churchill in one of his speeches in Parliament where they said Winston went for today, totus porcus, which means the whole hog. You know, he went the totus Latin, a totus porcus. I'm a bit like that. I want to go for it full on. But then I'm like, if I don't quite get it, I'm like, oh my goodness, I failed. And so I think it's better sometimes to start small and build up rather than to start like, you know, uh, big and then collapse. You know, we, we, I go and meet with churches and uh, they'll say, we're going to do 24 7, 365. So we're going to pray for 24, you know, we're just going to pray all year, nonstop. And most churches are going to fail at that. And we have to say, why don't you just try and do 24 1, 24 hours? For one day or 24-7 build up to it and so even on a big level people have to build up to it but us as Christians we need to find ways of regular praying regular connection with God even setting an alarm on a phone that says pray <laughs> we have a, a, a where I, I obviously like I've got a, a job that this helps quite a lot. I work for a prayer organization, okay? So, like, it would be a bit weird if I did, we didn't do this stuff. But, uh, like, we set an alarm. So, at 12 o'clock every day, we stop and we say the Lord's Prayer together. You know, but, but that would be an easy enough thing for anybody to put an alarm on their phone and say, just pray the Lord's Prayer right now and to stop and to help yourself. Use the technology that you've been given to help you develop a regular rhythm of prayer. And it would seem to me that this was part and parcel of the basic Christian life, that we had regular rhythms. And there are so many things out there that distract us, that get in the way. I, my problem is if I look at something like an app on my phone, I get sucked into other apps on my phone. You know, and I, before you know it, I've been looking at reels on Instagram for 40 minutes. If you don't know what that is, you're, you're lucky. But, I'm, but, but, you know, you're off on one. And so build in a regular rhythm of prayer as these guys did. I love the Aramaic word for prayer, which is the word that Jesus would have used. It is called slofa. If we, and it literally means to set a trap. To set your mind like a trap and wait patiently to catch the thoughts of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? This is to trap for like inner guidance and impulses, attentiveness, adjustment, or just tuning in. And so when, when Jesus, this is the language that Jesus would have spoke, Aramaic. Okay, he would have known Hebrew, but that his primary language would have been Aramaic. So when he talked about prayer, we, we have the New Testament is written in Greek, but it wasn't written by Jesus. You understand? It was, it was sorry, you know what I mean. It was written by people who wrote in Greek. They didn't write in Aramaic. So when Jesus mentioned the word prayer, this is what he would have said. Slopha. Teach us how to slopha. Teach us how to tune in. Teach us how to connect with God. Teach us how to hear his voice. And I would suggest that the only way we hear God's voice and we tune in is if we do it regularly. Regularly. You get more used to it if you do it regularly. And there's a sense about like putting a regular rhythm in place that enables us to tune in to God. And then what could happen is the spontaneous. When we have a regular prayer life, I think we also can have a spontaneous prayer life. It, 
When you think about this, Peter and John, they walk past the man, and it's almost like Peter turns, and it's almost like something prompts him. Like someone went, or someone went, excuse me, Peter, you listening? And, and he had probably walked by that guy so many times, but because of his regular prayer life, of the infilling of the Holy Spirit in him, that there was a sense in which he responded to the little, let's call it, nudge of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> well, hang on a minute. He's asking for money. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you. So, because he's tuned in. He's developed a prayer life, a rhythm, something where he talks to God on a daily basis. He knows, and it's a living, active prayer life, and he's tuned in. And once he's tuned in, he knows how to react to the spontaneous. I would suggest to us that our, that our prayer life should not only be regular, but it should be spontaneous. We shouldn't be frightened of offering to pray for people, of being prompted to turn to someone and offer them prayer, or prompted to go somewhere and do something. You know, this was... this. He was, I would say, interruptible. Are we interruptible? Do we let God interrupt us? Interrupt our everyday lives to say, could you pray for this person? Are we so fixed in what we're doing and how we're living that we're no longer interruptible? That is a word, interruptible. It's quite a nice word, actually. A bit hard to say. I would be concerned, right, if my rhythm of life did not allow for interruption. But I would also be concerned if the only prayer life I had was one of these kind of crazy interruption ones. I think you need both. And depending on your personality, you are going to be drawn to different types. But we need both. We need the regular, everyday prayer life. The one where we rock up to the temple in the morning, at lunchtime, in the evening. Whatever that looks like. But we also need to live that life that is one that is... God, you can interrupt me. You can interrupt me. Because we just don't want to get stuck in an uninterruptible spot where we are no longer spontaneous. Because God is living and active. Peter did it again, you know, when in Acts 10, when he was on the rooftop. It says he went up at noon, which is, this is the evening prayer. Noon was midday. He went up to pray, and God speaks to him and interrupts his life and says, oh, you need to go to Cornelius' house. So he had these regular rhythms, but they were broken in. And then and amazing things happened. Actually, in Acts chapter 10, it was the birth of the church being moved out into the Gentile world, if you look into it. But he lived this interruptible life. I always find it fascinating in Luke 2, verse 43, that talks about Mary and Joseph. It says they were returning home from the temple, uh, but Jesus had stayed behind and they were unaware of it. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my own Christian walk, it becomes so methodical that I can be plodding along and Jesus has stayed behind and I'm unaware of it. It was R.T. Kendall, I think, who once said that 95% of what the church, could, the church does, it could do without the Holy Spirit. I mean, we know how to do a good meeting, we know how to do a good preach, we know how to, but, but we need to be interruptible. And, and you know, they'd, they'd kind of, they'd gone on and they'd forgot, where's Jesus? They hadn't, it took them three days before they even realized Jesus wasn't with them. I'd hate to get to that stage where I looked back at my Christian walk and thought, hang on, I was just doing stuff. I was no longer interruptible. <laughs> There's always something in us, uh, I think, that desires a little bit more. We want more. And I think the more comes when we live in the regular, but we have to always be ready for the more, for God to break in. I love Lord of the Rings. I'm not sure if anyone else does, but I do. 
And uh, there was J.R. Tolkien talks about the ho- in The Hobbit, actually. And he talks about when all the uh, elves, and no, not the elves, the dwarfs and all that, they all come round to Bilbo's house. And they're all singing ancient songs in Bilbo's house. And they're kind of singing these kind of like dwarf songs and things like that. And he's a, uh, uh, Bilbo's a took, by the way. That's his kind of like family name. And it says, then something Turkish woke up inside him. And he wished to go and see the great mountains and hear the pine trees and the waterfalls and explore the caves and wear a sword instead of a walking stick. Something woke up inside him. And I guess for most of us... uh, I don't know about you, but I want to be, I want a bit of adventure. I want to be spontaneous. I want God to speak. I want to be able to respond. I want to be able to stop and offer to pray for someone or offer to encourage someone. I, I need that in my life, and I want that. And someone was praying this morning in our prayer time at the beginning of the meeting, and they, they, I wrote it down, John 3, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I kind of want that. You need the regular. I need, I need to have the plan. I need to know what I'm doing. But I also want the Holy Spirit to be blowing in on a regular basis and kind of saying, do this, go here, do that. We, we, that's what we want. We, our faith is living and active. It's not just kind of like boring, dull, and repetitive. There are, in fact, quite a lot of Bible verses missing in the Bible. There are, the Apostle Paul got up this morning. He made a tent. He read his Bible and prayed, and then he went to bed. That, that, there's lots of days where the disciples did that. They just got up and did their normal life. But there were moments, they were so tuned into God, there were moments where God broke in and they knew what to do and they knew when to respond. And I would say we need to live our lives in such a way where we're available to the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit, to tell us to do something new, go somewhere new, be something to someone in a different way. But that, we need the regular, but we need to be, God, please speak to me today. And if he doesn't, we don't lose faith. If we don't have a mad day where something crazy happens, that's okay. We just make a tent and go to bed. We just keep doing it, keep doing it, and keep trusting, and these things still happen. (laughs) And I always love it when God breaks in, stuff happens, people get saved. The church grows. It's amazing when people are responsive to the spontaneous work of God. And then the last thing that happens is it is contended. The, the contended. I, I've got to work on my tenses with this stuff. But they, they were thrown into custody for the night, and then the Sanhedrin tell them they must not do it anymore. Now, the church is always contested. The Sanhedrin, this is possibly the great Sanhedrin, because it, anyway, Gamaliel shows up in chapter 5, and he was the head of the great Sanhedrin. They, just to understand, when they, when they were told in chapter 4, don't do this anymore, it wasn't like... A parish council. Okay, it wasn't like just someone, it wasn't like, you know, just someone saying, don't do this anymore. They, these guys were like, uh, they legislated all aspects of Jewish religious and political life within parameters laid down by biblical and rabbinic tradition. They were a very powerful group of men. When they, <laughs> when they asked people to stop, people normally stopped. Because if you didn't stop, you could be imprisoned, beaten, that happened later, or crucified. That happened to Jesus, the person who went before them. So when the Sanhedrin said, don't do it, they should have went, okay, we'll not do it. But they determined to keep going. It was contested, and they contended. There was, the, the, the growth was contested, but they contended. There's got this little interesting photograph to show you today from Iran. Look at that. That's a baptismal service in Iran. Imagine... If we could have a, I mean, we, we're, we're, you know, two or three people, eh? 
And we're all crying and weeping when they baptize children. We are, aren't we? I love it. I love a baptism. Look at that. All those people are being baptized in one meeting. This is where the church is growing the fastest in the world right now, where it is contested, where it is illegal to talk about Jesus, where it's illegal to share your faith, where there's persecution. This is where the church is growing. I had the privilege of doing a training session with 40 pastors from Iran on Zoom. Zoom's a wonderful thing, okay? And uh, they were all like, could you pray for us, Brother Brian, because we're all going to go out and tell people about Jesus. And I was like, I just felt inadequate, you know, because for them, that, that could mean imprisonment or possibly death. And I was like, yes, you know, thankfully, we don't, they're not praying to me. We're praying to God, and he, he does protect and look after. But where we see, when we see growth, things are normally contested. When God shows up and God starts to do things, things are contested. But that's also a place where we see growth, where we need to contend. The church grows in a contested environment. Let's read Acts 4. 33 to 21, I think. No, 23 to 33 to 21. I was going to read it backwards, just to confuse you all. Don't worry, we're getting there. On their release, Peter and John, remember they've been locked up. The Sanhedrin have told them, no, you can't talk about this. And so on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amazing. This is what happens when things are contested. You have to contend. And what was really fascinating about this is that they, all, they did it together. You know, a prayer life that only happens on your own, you know, we need to pray with other people. It's really, really important. Praying with, that's why we have small groups, home groups, all those kind of things. Why we have a, a, a 6.30 on a Friday meet. I can't do that, it's too early. But, you know, some people love it, you know, 6.30. It's great, isn't it? Sorry, I'm, I wasn't dissing it. I'm just, I'm, I'm really bad in the mornings. But I, I prefer to be on my own, so I'm going to dig myself out of this hole. But... <laughs> We, I meet at other times to pray with other people, but the, the, it is really important to meet with others to pray. The, one of the things is, you, it's really, we want to agree with one another, we, to be able to say amen to someone else's prayer. And it also says here that they, they, they raise their voices. So we have, there's, there's an aspect of the Christian faith where sometimes we have to pray out loud. And as, a, some, as, a, as an occasional introvert, I don't always enjoy that. Seriously. But there are, you know, we have to pray out loud. It's a biblical thing of praying out loud. That's what the church did. They prayed out loud. They all met together and they all raised their voices. Now, was that in a Pentecostal kind of manner where everyone was just going ahead? We don't know. Did they all raise their voices in reading out this psalm together? We don't know. But what we do know is that they met together and they raised their voices. And interestingly, as Adrian was talking about last week, they used the Bible. They quickly, in their prayer life, introduced Psalm chapter 2, 
which is, you know, why do the nations rage in vain and all that. They, brought the, they quoted God's words back at him. They said, God, but you said, you said this. You know, so so this, the importance of knowing your Bible when you pray as well, which Adrian did so well last week, is so important. And, and we see it outworked here. That they actually do use the Bible. In their, it, is, it is, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? If you go to Psalm chapter 2 in the Old Testament, that's exactly what it is. And they quote God's own words back at him. They said, God, you said. God, you said. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful way to pray. And then they said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. Together, with one voice, the church contending in a time where it is being contested. And, you know, there's a couple of commentators who say this, that when, when they said consider their threats or, and enable us, they, basically they resolved to persevere. They resolved to persevere. They didn't get all outraged, by the way. It's interesting when you read their prayer. It's not destroy him, pull him down. It's, they, they didn't get, it was a different kind of like, God, he, just give us the strength to keep going. <laughs> Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Give us the strength to keep going. They didn't say, oh, Lord, please stop it. I'm sure they would have loved it to have stopped. But they said, God, even if it doesn't stop, give us the strength to keep going. And they determined to keep going. The church is built on perseverance. Perseverance. The ability to not stop, to keep going. We do need to learn the art of perseverance in a culture of immediacy. It's incredibly important. I call it the art of perseverance because perseverance is a beautiful thing. Sometimes we sell it as a hard thing, but it's a beautiful thing. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they keep praying and they keep praying and they keep praying until God does something. The art of perseverance. So they come together and they say, God, help us to keep going. It's an amazing thing. And then what happens? God sends his spirit. Just like in chapter 2, happens again in chapter 4. There's this beautiful commentator called Adam Clark. He says this. In this next slide. No, he didn't just say contend. That was, we might have done. So, oh, he didn't even say that. Sorry, the third slide. <laughs> I can tell I pulled this together at half seven this morning. Indeed. I didn't pull the whole talk together, sorry, just, just the PowerPoint, so it's a bit like, flipping heck, lastminute.com. Uh, no, indeed, he, he said this about the Spirit being poured out. Indeed, one communication of the Spirit always makes way and disposes for another. Neither apostle nor private Christian can subsist in the divine life, that's the prayerful, regular praying life, without frequent influences from on high. We need God to break in regularly from on high, spontaneously. Had these disciples depended on their Pentecostal grace, that means if they'd have just relied on what happened in chapter 2, <laughs> they might have sunk now under the terror and menaces of their combined and powerful foes. So you understand, if they'd just been thinking, like, chapter 2 will sustain us, what happened you know, weeks ago is going to sustain me. No, 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 no. They needed more now and then, right there. And it says, God gives grace for the time being, but no stock for futurity. That means, like, <laughs> he will keep all his followers continually dependent on himself. Basically, he'll give you what you need for now. He'll give you what you need for now. But we, he wants us to keep saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need your spirit today. I can't rely on what happened two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago, ten years ago. I need you today. I need a fresh implant, impartation of your spirit today to enable me to keep praying and to keep going. 
So that's the, that's the heart of this tale. That I would really love it if you could read Acts 3 and Acts 4 this way. You can think about it. The prayer life of the early church was one that had regular daily prayer. What do you... What are we doing to introduce regular daily prayer into our own lives? It was also a church that had spontaneous breakout moments. Well, you know, we can't plan them or they wouldn't be spontaneous. (laughs) But we have to live expecting them and live wanting them and and being willing when God speaks to maybe be a little bit uncomfortable and ask someone who can't walk to walk. You know, if it all goes wrong, you're going to look pretty bad, but sometimes you've got to step out. And finally, they contended together. There's something about the church coming together and standing with one another. Last week, we stood with Ben and Lucy. Stand together. We contend together with people. No one should be contending on their own. And and that's the beauty of the early church. And the model that we see is one of regular prayer, one of spontaneous prayer, and one of contending prayer. So I want to pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to build in regular rhythms of prayer. And Father God, I pray that this week we would see some crazy, spontaneous moments where you would break in to our lives. You would cause us to do things that maybe frightened ourselves a little bit. And Lord, I pray you'd help each one of us to stand together, to contend together, to bring your word back to you. Come Holy Spirit, may we be a church that is a church full of prayerfulness, and praying because we need you we don't want to get three days down the road and find out we left you behind we need you we want to be dependent on you so come holy spirit influence us speak to us and lead us in jesus name amen